ACP Church family, welcome to the No Borders podcast, where every week we will discuss the sermon and share some personal takeaways. Hello, Centerpoint Church. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We are currently going over our Limitless podcast, Taking the Lid Off of Life. We'll be talking about that for the next four weeks. This is a four-part series. Thank you for listening. If you like, please share with your family and friends so we can spread the word of God. All right. Thank you for joining me today. Today on the podcast, we have Pastor Devon. What up? We got Chris, the drummer. Hi. And we got my wife, Avery, here. Hello, and so hello. We will be talking through the sermon today. Uh, we are continuing in the Limit- Limitless series, Taking the Lid Off of Life. And uh, before we get started, uh, we had a little discussion here before uh, we cut the mics on, but uh, how long are things good in your fridge, you know? Typically, you know, we can go into leftovers or, you know, the expiration date, but let's, let's start with the expiration date. Mm-hmm. Is, okay. it, is it the date <laughs> oh, it says, or no. is there a... Don't listen not. to these men. That date is a <laughs> suggestion. It's a yes. suggestion by the government of mm. evilness that wants you to throw out stuff mm. and go and buy, spend your oh, money to go and buy more stuff. Yes, here. I'm going with that. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I go by the date and I go by the directions. Like if you open it, it's only good for seven days. After it's been in the fridge, I don't do leftovers. That's a statement from the rich all do, the way through. The statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said, I the don't privilege. do leftovers. That's what do she said. So, that, that clued me in. <laughs> so how long are leftovers good? Like how long is Ooh. pizza good after oh, it's okay. Been in the fridge? This is because Eric okay. tried how, how to eat a leftover pizza I'm like two say, weeks later. I'm, okay, two weeks is a little That's much. That's a long That's time. A much. I'm going to say five weeks. days. Five days? I'm going to say five days. Ahead. My experience is if I – microwave is always bad anyway, but if I try it even to just the oven heat it up, most pizzas that you order around here maybe last about 24 to 48 hours. After that, the taste is noticeably different. Taste is noticeably different. Yeah. It tastes like kind of cardboardy. Five and days. Kind of, <laughs> I, five days. Yeah. I give it a few days. You right? give it, yeah. A couple yeah, days. Definitely. Okay. It felt okay. like that was a long time. And I, you put it you, – you took it from the outdoor fridge – so like it's been there for a while, yeah. no. and then you went to eat it, and I'm like, "Don't do it. You're I think gonna it was get sick." Three you know, or four days. Maybe. See, for her because she doesn't do leftovers anyway, it was automatically a month. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh-huh. Listen, uh-huh. I do leftovers the next day depending uh-huh. on what it is because uh-huh. there is some food that's better after it's been in the yes. fridge, but not a lot. Yep, I got. I say did it. have Statement. someone challenge me though and uh-huh. say, "If you don't do leftover, it's because you're not good enough cook." And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that hurt me. (laughs) And I do leftovers and that hurt me. (laughs) (laughs) See, I have to be careful because I've got a 12 and 14 year old. And so I have to ask them the dates because if they grab and say, is this good? I'm like, when does it expire? Oh, not until April. What year? 2023. That's probably not good, buddy. <laughs> it's like, throw it away. Depends on what it is. Like science experiments in there. Depends on what it is. Just saying. Well, I think we, uh, we've come to agreement uh, on that, right? Yes, we have. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll move on, though. We'll move on. Uh, so taking the lid off of life. And so, Pastor Tom, uh, this is the second week going through this series here. And, um, you know, last week we talked a little bit about discipleship, and he kind of gave us that uh, definition there of what a disciple is. So uh, uh, from what he uh, had on here, a disciple is a disciple of Jesus is a person who's committed their life to Christ. And with the help of other believers, he or she is growing in the knowledge of God and his word with the intent of living out their faith by bringing others to Christ and in turn, discipling them to do the same. Is there anything, um, just to kick us off, uh, that kind of from 
last week that you guys have or uh, thought about uh, with that definition uh, as we're kind of going into it today? I would say nothing for the definition itself, but just a realization that I don't think we do this enough intentionally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the what stood out to me there today, kind of thinking about it, was that it's the definition of a of the disciple includes other people working together in it. It's not just you know a person; it's right. multiple people coming together. It's having that that network of you know people that are centered around Christ um, working in that process. I'm going to do it. I have to do it. Hmm. Oh, no. Oh, that no. was good. Uh-oh. We're going to do a lot of green. I'm going go to throw a wrench in this soon. That's so good. just, uh, just buckle up. Avery likes to <laughs> be confrontational. So let's see. It makes it more fun. Let's go. I'll even take a point that I don't actually agree with yeah, just, just to make just the conversation yeah, more oh, interesting. Are your father's daughter. <laughs> Um, I will say, <clears throat> I think discipleship is definitely counterculture because we live in a culture where it's like, I'll just do it myself. I don't want to ask for help. And then we don't know our neighbors anymore. We're not in our like community in our neighborhood or in our, our workspace. Everything is on our phones or individualized. And so it's really hard, especially I think it's like, can be jarring to people around you who aren't in that, like, or aren't exposed to community or relationships in a meaningful way that's not just surfaced. So I think it's not to make excuses, but I think there is a challenge there. That I would maybe... definitely say it's a challenge because um, we do live in a culture where everything is individualized. We're taught to be independent and we have this new term, my space, right? That we mm-hmm. have even the whole six feet when you're in my space. So to be a disciple or to disciple, you have to be community. You have to grow in community in order for the discipleship to work. And so you're not, and it's levels to it, right? So you're discipling, but you, you're also teaching that person to level the next one up. It's con, it's continuous leveling, continuous leveling. We, we're not, that, is, yeah. that isn't our culture. So yeah. how do you guys do that? Um, like, I mean, in the church, when people are here, most of the time, like if you're going to a group, People are there to be discipled or build community or learn. Hmm. Or <clears throat> I can't agree with that. I can I can't agree that people are here to be discipled. Okay. I, I will agree with people are here to be in community. Okay. Um, to be discipled. What's I the difference then? So to be in community is what, what we can do right here, right now. But to be discipled, there's an intentionality about teaching God's word and allowing that person uh, to teach as well. So that is not... Um, I don't. I can't say that's what we do in groups. I can't say that's the intentional part of groups or even the major part of groups. I don't, actually don't think that it is. Like the groups, like Bible studies would say, you feel like that it would be, it's easier to build community, but dis- discipleship is a lot harder. Yes. I would say in um, Bible studies, people are coming to listen. People are coming to get. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily willing to, to be that person to expound and give on the return. And that's the cycle of discipleship. I don't like turn around to give it to other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that has with, you know, I think I said it last week, if I'm just involved in like a little six week study for those people to really have an important to really have that, what those people are saying, you know, no offense to anybody out there, but like, that's like a short term kind of relationship in, in my view, it's like the longevity of relationship helps that discipleship process to, um, you know, be fulfilled a little bit more. I think about, you know, Devon and I are in a, in a men's group that's been going on for, for years. And so those are the people I feel like that I would consider more of that discipleship relationship that I have 
versus just doing just like a, a growth group for six weeks. I don't know if I would necessarily think of that relationship on the same level. I mean, I would challenge that, though, if you're only staying in one group with the same group of guys over and over again. I mean, yeah, you can encourage one another and disciple towards one another. But, like, who are you turning around to disciple other people that, like, don't know Jesus? So I think I, I just say that in the sense those six-week groups are important or those, like, small um there's value there because it it launches people into relationship. And sometimes people don't need an ongoing discipleship from you. Sometimes they need a, like just a season to speak, someone else to speak into something. There's value in both. I would definitely, I, I, I do agree. You know, I agree there's definitely value in both. Um, but I would say long-term discipleship is uh, much more advantageous, I would say. That six week, that's just a, a glimpse of what you could have. Um, yeah. So definitely there's value in both. We don't want to go away from that because there's value in both. And yes, you should get something out of whatever you're doing. Um, but the long term, um, I think is what's. I think it's like being more all in when you're like committed to a continuous relationship. Yeah. I think that six week thing actually speaks to what we already, because people don't want to be, you know, they want to, they don't want to be bogged down for it. Such, you know. Man, I um, love that six-week group. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not mad at you because I'll sign up something for something that says it, right? hosted it. Six-week sounds I know. <laughs> I mean, if I had to commit to a 6 a.m. meeting mm-hmm. for ongoing indefinitely, that doesn't sound like... I know. That, that's what makes us different. Yeah, yeah. That is what makes... <laughs> But no, I I think that it makes you better. Is that do you want to be able to read between? The I may have implied that, but there is no proof. <laughs> no, but I think that it kind of speaks to this countercultural perspective that um, you know is out there. There's a lot of push for you know the self development, self love, you know um, those type of things that you know you need to do this to you know better yourself. And pa- uh, Pastor Tom kind of talked about it. You know, you just need the next degree or you just need, um, you know, the next thing in order to take the lid off and be more limitless. And that's kind of what stood out. Anything come to mind there? Only thing that comes to mind there. I'm sorry, Chris, you're going to get a word in. I promise. <laughs> this is very entertaining. <laughs> the only thing that comes to mind is when Pastor Tom was talking about that and he gave the explanation of the different um, musical artists and he cussed. Anybody uh, else? I, I clutched my pearls. I was like, <gasps> He's, he, and he quoted Eminem while doing it. So that was that was a highlight for me. Okay, but anything. Okay, let's get to the real stuff. You Go did ahead. say that. We were watching online and Eric's like, did he just say that? <laughs> I was like, oh, He was quoting it. You know. Scandalous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're allowed to do it if we quote it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is in the Bible, isn't it? You know, you'll be damned to hell. So, yeah. you know, there you go. You just said it, Chris. You just said it. <laughs> I'm just quoting a verse. Um, all right, Chris, what you got? But, um, you know, I was thinking, of, you mentioned about last week, kind of tying a few things together that you all just talked about is, um, you know, last year was New Year's Eve and it was interesting. Something kind of different hit my heart that last week is every year, a lot of people, we talk about your cultures more, you know, especially the enemy. He, he sometimes tells half truths. He doesn't always just say a mm. full blown, it's an obvious lie. He'll want you to go, but you should focus on yourself so that you could serve God better. But I really oh, want you oh. to kind of focus on yourself. So I, I tried something different this year, just kind of came out of the blue and, and hit my head is Instead of New Year's resolutions, I want to lose weight. I want to get in better health. I want to spend more time in the Word. Those aren't bad. I'm not knocking them. But when you do those and you're focused on what you want to do, it can be a lot more short-lived. Like they always Mm -hmm. joke about the gym. People are in there for three weeks, then all of a sudden it's a ghost town. So I tried something different. I treated my New Year's resolutions almost like an annual review at a job. 
I said, okay, God, I need to look at this last year. Um, how did I do in serving you? How did I do in the things that you called me to do? What did I do right that I can praise your name and say thank you for for you know me getting this right versus what do I need to improve on? Mm-hmm. What, what are some doors that you opened that I went through? What are some which I may have missed? Because my focus in doing that was on, God, what do you want for me versus what do I want for me? Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris. Yeah. Did okay. you get a good reveal? <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Did, did you, you get review? It was decent. <laughs> did you get a raise? Oh no! It was actually. No, it was actually. Out, to be honest, when you when you try that, even if it's just a really simple thirty second thing, it's really eye opening because we don't do that enough of yeah. looking back and saying, okay, like, and and again, both sides of it are important. It is important to praise, not because of a pride thing, not because you know you want to boast yourself up, but to say, you know what, this last year I, I spent a lot more time with my kids. I invested in them. I set examples. Versus, wow, there's a lot of things that my kids watched me do that they really shouldn't have seen. So that's what I need to focus on this next year because God has called us to be the example for our children. Mm-hmm. Um, just things like that. So I, honestly, I got kind of an average review. It yeah. wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was okay. You know, it's okay. kind of like average. That's, okay. That's where yeah. I fall consistently. Average. Yeah. <laughs> this year's right. resolutions, all I did was erase the three and put the four. Yeah. Just kept everything going. <laughs> just add to it. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, Pastor Tom talked about, you know, giving up our personal autonomy, forfeiting our independence in order to, you know, do this. He gave a, a quote from Stan Myers. It's not optional. It's not negotiable. We cannot be a follower of Jesus and be the boss of our own life. We either have to give up control and get Jesus or we do not and get nothing. And, you know, just like Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, what do you guys feel like it means to take up your cross? Well, one thing that sticks out to me is when you think about that visual, um, I know there's a lot of discussion on what the cross actually looked like historically, but we often picture it as two large logs tied together, nailed together. And you think about how huge that is. I love the visualness of late. It actually says you have to deny yourself and take up the cross. If you truly put down everything that shouldn't be there, then you're able to carry the cross. You can't carry a huge log over your shoulder and carry everything else that you want to carry in your hands at the same time. It really is an all or nothing thing. You have to have that mentality with it of really lay down everything that would get in the way of me taking that cross and following Jesus. Mm, Good. You were going to say something about this, the taking up your cross. No, go ahead. No, <laughs> just no. <laughs> uh-huh. Prophetic. I, I think, no, I was looking at like, what is the cross? The cross is suffering because Christ suffered. The cross is rejection because Christ himself was rejected. The cross is death because there is not discipleship without death. And so I think suffering, rejection, death. But, but I'm, I, I'm struggling with a definition of what does it mean to take up your own cross? I mean, we're historically taught it means to pick up your crap. Yeah. And, and you know, it's yours. It, you own it. You own your crap and you move along with it, which is not necessarily 100% wrong. But what does that mean, though, when it comes to serving Christ? He's ultimately our cross bearer, but to take up our own cross, right? What is that really? I always thought, it, yeah, I mean, taking ownership of what is holding you back from, I don't know, getting to the place where God wants you to be or Christ wants you to be. Um I mean, so that's always how I interpret it. But this is, a, it's, it always is a complex mm-hmm. um, metaphor of like, what does it really mean? You yeah. have insight? No, I don't. Look, just because, <laughs> look, I, I just, I just owned it as a pastor that I'm struggling with that definition um, on what that really does mean. I'm really, because it's, it's contrary to what we're taught to, you know, 
it really doesn't completely mean owning your own crap. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't mean that. Why yeah. doesn't it? Be- because we're handing our crap over, right, to the one who can actually fix it all. So what does it really mean to take up our cross? Yeah, um, but I, it's taking acknowledgement that you have crap that you mm-hmm. have to, you know, carry to to the Father, to, that's to it. Jesus. That's, that's all it is? And to lay it down. I, I, think I, always, more than, I think it's more than just owning your stuff. I think it's it's the the process of doing it daily. It's the process of knowing that you're never going to to fulfill that, you know, I'm going to pick up the cross and, and do it. It's not it's not a one-time thing. It's not it's it's a continual, you know, shedding away of yourself to be, you know, who God has called you to be. Well, continued surrender. Yeah. I mean, carrying your stuff to surrender. I mean, that's what the cross is, surrender. And I always kind of look, looking back at the old movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ, and like actually watching it visually, what I would read in the Word. Um, it's interesting because back then, when a criminal would carry their cross to the place where they're going to be executed, everyone sees it. It's such a huge cross that you would have to carry, or that at least you would walk aside, walk alongside, whatever the case was for that situation. It's something where you have to literally hold it and embrace it and show everybody and know they're going to heckle you. They're going to throw stuff at you. They're going to ridicule you. Mm-hmm. It's actually embracing and showing the world and, and showing, uh, really not hiding that, 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 that I have sin. Like I deserve death. This is what I deserve. Um, and then I love the symbolism of when you're carrying the cross, not only are you showing everybody what the punishment is for sin is death. Um, but you also, in today's world, you, you realize that you're also symbolizing, I'm not ashamed because you can't just walk three steps and then drop it and run away. The guards would stop you and say, no, this is an all or nothing thing. This is, for lack of better words, a lifelong journey. Um, it's kind of how I always saw it symbolically is that you're out there in the open showing everyone, I, I admit now that I have sin, that I, I, I deserve death according to the word of God. I deserve death for sin. But thanks to the cross, which I'm actually holding a physical representation of, um, I actually have salvation and everyone can see it. So the all of nothing, the nothing would be to stay where you are. And because you have, because if you're, you're going to die one way or, the, or another, right? Mm-hmm. So you're either going to take your cross to the spot where it can be exchanged, or you're going to stay where you are and die right there in that stupor, whatever, whatever got you to carry, whatever that cross rep, uh, represents, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to be. So you have two choices. So you didn't know. Look at you. I can't say I know. <laughs> we got there. We got there. You got there. You got, got a point. <laughs> you made us work for it, though. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I would love to hear what you guys thought about Pastor Tom and Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Him bringing that up, he made it real simple. Do not, uh, you know, don't misrepresent this this verse. Which one? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You have it in front of you. No. Okay. For I know I'll the plans. So, okay. Oh, yeah. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, he talked about he talked about us dying to self, but what does that do? I mean, if we just take the scripture for the words that it is, it points to self, right? I want to hear what your thoughts are about that. What do you mean? Say it again. Jeremiah 29, 11. So he talked about us dying to ourselves. He talked about us... Uh, not focusing on ourselves, but that scripture, if we just take it for the words that, that's there, it points to self. That's what it, it points back, that God's just going to bless you. You know, but what is that? What, what is your thoughts on that in context of what, he, what we're talking about? Well, the plans are God's plans for us. Okay. They're, they're different. Come on, pastor's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, we get prosper 
God's plans for us are always going to be bigger than our plans, right? And and I think that's um, part of like that continuous surrender and carrying your cross of like giving up your plans and your desires to see His plans mm-hmm. for your life and and see how He uses you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we could read that whole little. I was just going to. I was just going to say, whenever someone starts a verse and it says four, it's always important to read the verse before that or the verse after. If you read Jeremiah twenty nine ten through twelve, um, it says, "This is what the Lord says: You will be in Babylon for seventy years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I love this because um, they're in Babylon out of sin, like out Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's because of their disobedience. And it's like that just a testament, like he doesn't give up on us, you know, Mm -hmm. that no matter how much we try and run, if we just come to our knees, he will always have a way out. Mm. And I'd love to, the last thing I'll say real quick, just reading the next verse in 13, I love when God doesn't say this may happen. He says, this will happen. Mm-hmm. He finishes that by saying, um, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I'll gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Where I sent you, I think it's very important to mm-hmm. to yeah. to express where I sent you. But the other thing of Jeremiah 29, 11 is... Um, Jeremiah is actually going against a false prophet. Uh, I wish I can remember his name, uh, where this false prophet promised that the children of Israel are going to be rescued out of um, Babylon in like, I want to say it was two years or three years. I don't remember what it was, but Jeremiah was like, no, you're not. Actually, what you're going to do is stay here and you're going to make this nation prosper. So uh, me bringing this out is because this is the new year. We have these resolutions. We have all this stuff that we're, that we're going to be focusing on when it shouldn't be ourselves. It should be we're in something, we think we're going to be delivered out of that something because we're going to focus on that something when that's not going to, oftentimes that's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to suffer. We're going to have to endure until God says otherwise. So I think if we put that cap on, I think we'll have a much more successful year that it's until he says, until he's, that it's done, that it's over. Jeremiah, oh, uh, Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah 29, 11 is also, it is often misrepresented that it's a promise that, now, I know we can take this promise. We can take it because God says what he says. We can take that promise. But it also wasn't to us. It was to the children of Israel that it was in captivity at that time. I guess that was my question because that, I mean, that's what um, my dad said up there. He was said mentioned, you know, this wasn't necessarily a promise to us. And so I get confused by that because we take a lot of promises from God and that was meant for, you know, Israel, but is like a shadow into, you know, new Israel where we're all Israel. And um, so it's confusing. How can we choose or how do we know which promises are for us as well as ones that are not? I think all the promises that God gives his people, they can be applicable to us as well. I, I do firmly believe that, and it depends on what time it is, right? Um, his promise to rescue has been a promise that he's given consistently to his people, consistently over and over and over again. So I believe that's a promise that we can take on no matter what, because he didn't just say it there in 2011. He said it before, you know? Then why can't we take this as a promise to us? It, you can take that. I, I believe that it's applicable, but it's not it's not 100%. It's not to us. That was not given to us. That was given to the people that were 
that were in captivity in Babylon at that time. It was given to them. And it was also in, in counter to a false prophet that was saying, we're going to be out of here in two years. Mm. So there was, it was situational. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it wasn't our situation. Also, but his promise is applicable. And I would just add to that point, even if the promise isn't specifically for us today, the whole reason why we're in the Word is to learn about the character of God. And when you see the promises he makes his people based on where they're at, I think we can easily say, um, if the Holy Spirit within me tells me this is what the Lord is promising me in my situation and my story, and, and you get it confirmed with the Word, this is his character. This is what he's promised to other people in similar situations. It helps kind of collaborate what you think you hear in the Holy Spirit versus what the Word of God says. Yeah, that's good. What? That's good. She said, hey, that's good. Thank you. We got witnesses. Thank you. Have a good night. Witnesses just in this situation. (laughs) Just stop there. um, (laughs) So Pastor Tom uh, referenced a book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. I wanted to read a couple quotes. No, I've never read that. But guess what? I got to go do now. (laughs) (laughs) Did you read it today since he told you about it? (laughs) So one of the quotes that I I had, uh, I listened to the book on audio audible. So I don't know if you can say I read it, but um, one of the quotes that I had written down was that um, from the book is that cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Costly grace is the gospel, which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. I thought that was a, a really good, you know, reference to to think about to just that process, that process of, you know, coming again and again. Um, and then he also uh, states in there, discipleship means adherence to Christ. And because Christ is the object of that adherence, it means and must mean exclusiveness. So abandon, abandon me in any, um, you know, attachments that you have to the world or, you know, anything that you um, are holding on to. I feel like it's a good visual as well. He gave us a really good visual with the, the um, I, don't, I don't remember the guy he talked about. What was the name? In the Nazi camp? What was it? No. Oh. Or the William. That, William. Um, yeah. yeah. He, that was a really good visual of dying to self. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, Bonhoeffer? Mm-hmm. Is it Von or Bon? Bonhoeffer, the way that he expressed that, that was, ah, that was good. It's, I mean, yeah, you, uh, you know, being older, older now having kids and thinking of like <laughs> my kids were to go out and my son was to die at 25, I thought that would break my heart. Yeah. Even, even doing the call on his life um, for God. And so I think there is this true, like sacrificial living of like, Elevating yourself above what you think is good and what is a good life and what is valuable. Um, so, yeah. Any closing thoughts that you guys have before we kind of wrap up here? I think she did a nice job of wrapping it up, which is what... <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm looking for those three words. No, no... No regrets. Yeah, that was the, that was the last one. That um, Williams. No reserve, uh, no retreat, and no, no regrets. Regret. To have that kind of mindset, I know that's a very popular word right now, <laughs> but to have that kind of mindset, um, going to do something, I mean, just, I mean, just abandon his whole family, abandon their, if you, I mean, if anybody that has family that, you know, <laughs> when they have an expectation of you and you're saying no to that, it's, it's, it's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very hard thing to, Remove that and move beyond that to go and do what you feel like you were called to do, to do what you were called to do, because evidently his calling was, you know, there was an exclamation mark behind that. Um, 
all the people that were saved with him doing what he was called to do. But to do that with that mindset, not knowing how God was going to do anything, that's strength. That's yeah. strength. I When I was listening to the sermon, which is not wrapping it up, sorry. Um, I was <laughs> thinking go. about like these two people that he referenced of like making huge life sacrifices yes. and like their life becoming extremely uncomfortable and unsafe um, and having that boldness to do it, whether they were fearful or not, you know, but they, they did it regardless. And so I think about, you know, someone who struggles with anxiety and anxiety is such a buzzword, depression, mental health. It's like an epidemic, whether we want to, how we want to associate it with, um, or if it's attack from Satan on our culture, I don't know. But what it does is it gets you so into yourself and then you can't move out of that. And I think a lot of people face that where like, I can't do that because of, you know, my mental health or, and I think that is the, I don't know, the paradox where you like try and take yourself away from situations that will, um, you know, not cause discomfort like anxiety or depression or whatever the mental health issue is. And it makes you so internally focused and it you forces hide you to retreat. Yeah. And and then you hide behind that diagnosis. Um, And so I don't know. I just think that's something that like you really have to push past whatever that looks like for anyone to make sure you're not like, I guess it could be in anything, but I guess that's what I thought of because that's my, you know, personal experience. But, and I, people around me, all the women, you know, in my women's group, like have some form where they like struggle with that. Um, So I don't know. You have thoughts on that? Um, it kind of makes, I, this might be a little bit of a, a tangent, but I, <laughs> I, I listened to a, a podcast this week, uh, talking a little bit about neuroscience and how, uh, there's an area of the brain called the anterior midsigulate cortex that is, a, <laughs> he said um, it. <laughs> that, that lights up in the face of when we're doing something that we don't want to do. So it's something that you don't want to do, but you do it anyway. And by building that skill and building that, um, you know, overall, um, desire can, can be helpful in your life. And it can, it's, it, it's bigger in individuals of like, you know, high performance athletes. It's, um, and I, I'm, I'm kind of relating this to, you know, your, your faith journey. If you're only saying in your faith, you know, box where you're only doing the things that you're comfortable Mm -hmm. with. You're only coming to the groups that make you feel comfortable or only surrounding yourself with the people that agree with you, um, in your faith. Like, are you really building that, that muscle? Are you really, you know, extending yourself into what God has really called you to be? And, um, you know, I think that we need to look for things that make us uncomfortable and kind of push into those because even if it's anxiety, even if it's, you know, addiction, you know, it's, it's that process of leaning into those things that you don't necessarily want to do that make you feel vulnerable, uncomfortable that actually, you know, are the, the help us. It's like super, um, counterintuitive, but, um, a lot of times we can get stuck in that, um, that, that free gift of, of grace that we consider. And it's mm-hmm. just like, we, we relate it to, there's nothing that we have to do, but there, there is a cost in discipleship. There's a cost in this, this faith journey. And, um, yeah, 
I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but my my anxiety went up when he said, "Look for those things." Like, you know. <laughs> yep. You would always say that to me, like lean into what's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I love. I like. I mean, I hate it and love that. Like, yeah. right? Because it's, it's like dual. Yeah. it's as good. I think sometimes when you start to feel apprehensive about your next steps or you, you know what you should do, um, it, like. Y- you you feel not confident in like pushing forward or pushing into what's uncomfortable. And it's like, but that's what the cross is. It's uncomfortable. And that's okay. You don't have to be, all you have to be is confident in who Christ is. And then everything else will fall into place. Now to say as a quick tag, actually bringing it back to where we started in this conversation, there's benefits to short-term small groups and communities who will speak into your life specifically for that season. But there's also importance in actually getting close friends, whether it's immediate family, brothers and sisters in Christ who know you well, so that you can ask them the challenging questions of, are you seeing me grow? Mm. Do you actually see me becoming a disciple versus I'm just floundering and I'm the same person you met five or 10 years ago? And that's the thing. And when you talk about being uncomfortable, that's sometimes hard, even with someone you consider a best friend. But I bet most of us, myself guilty included, do not do that nearly enough. If we're really going to be a church and help each other grow— and help disciple each other so we can speak to others on God's behalf. That's important to do things like that from time to time. Have a serious conversation with a close friend. Like, I need to know, do you see me growing? If not, help me see what I don't see. You found the middle ground between both of us. Very good. <laughs> um, I will say, I'm I'm going to add what you said in the beginning when I do groups. I feel like it's a good question to ask yourself, okay, am I just seeking community here or am I seeking discipleship or am I doing discipleship? Because I haven't, I think those get overlapped a lot where you don't. So I'm going to do that. Thanks, Devon. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. We will uh, see you next week. Have a good one. See you later. <laughs>